chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, we'll be covering the entire chapter, and we are going to be looking at a passage that has captured the imagination of Bible commentators for centuries at this particular point, maybe even over 2,000 years. And, and the reason is, this is God literally reaching into the world before Jesus and sending a message to a pagan king. And as we read this passage and as we think about the, the unique nature of this, there's, there's nothing else quite like this. So you might say that, that God did speak to Moses through the burning bush, but, but Moses was a Hebrew descended from Abraham. Uh, you, you might say that there have been some other times that God has spoken, but this is unique in, in that Belshazzar, the king of Babylon at this time, was not by anybody's standards even... He was not even like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar believed in the other gods, but he had been well introduced to the, the God of heaven. He had been well introduced to the one true God. Belshazzar was not like that. So people have been interested in this. And, and, and the thing is, is that this king, this young king, he shows a, a foolish arrogance um, that the Lord sees as a complete offense against him. So there's a sign from heaven, and once again, it's only Daniel that can come and bring an interpretation of this sign. So we're going to see, one, the fir first, the, the worthlessness of earthly pleasures and possessions, uh, and we're also going to see our own personal need for the hand of the Lord. And so those are the things that we're going to be kind of looking for and watching out for. The sermon in the sentence is this, the, this world has nothing for us that God's hand cannot better provide. One of the things that, that we watch is, is we watch this, this theme. There are things that Belshazzar has. There's things that Babylon has. There are things that, that, that are there, but God can provide better and he can provide in a different way. And so that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at as we go through this. Now, the title is um, Weighed, Measured, and Found Wanting. And that comes straight from what God puts on the wall. Um, but there's kind of, I, I guess you'd say as we watch it, kind of three phases. We want to look at the feast that Belshazzar throws. We want to look at um, the, the writing on the wall, the, the, the failure of the other enchanters and diviners and whatnot, and then what Daniel has to say, and then the actual interpretation and fulfillment of it. Um, this is one of those fun prophecies where as soon as it's made, it's fulfilled, and so we get to see God immediately act on his word. So we're reading verse 1 through verse 31. It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together." 
The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed. And his lords were perplexed. The queen, now that really should be the queen mother, so his mother, we'll get to that in a minute. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. She had not been a part of this party. She came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. You have heard, or I have heard, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in you. Now the wise men... The enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for, some, for yourself and give your reward to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels, out, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and 
whose are all your ways you have not honored? Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter, many. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Okay, so how do we go from you know, Nebuchadnezzar living with the livestock to Belshazzar partying with the lords? So here's essentially kind of the backstory that gets us there. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for some time after the, the, the event. He, he eventually died. Um, what we know is that this event, so between chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's roughly 30 years. Um, and so Belshazzar is the king. Now, most people, most historians had said that this must not be true uh, because Belshazzar was actually not mentioned as the king um, in, in, in most people's, I guess you would say, uh, histories. Uh, the, the, the man's name was Nabonidus that was supposedly the last king of Babylon. Um, some ancient historians list him as the last king of Babylon. Um, but recent archaeology has discovered no less than 35 different documents that reference Belshazzar Belshazzar as a co-regent with Nabonidus, who would have been his father. It's not that simple. Nabonidus was not a direct descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, but he was the successor. And the successor to the king normally acquires the king's full harem, wives and concubines. And generally, he formally marries at least one of those wives. So likely what happened is Nabonidus married one of Nebuchadnezzar's wives who had a son, named or would be named Belshazzar. And so Belshazzar would then be a grandson and son. It's kind of weird, uh, but he would have been both to Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar was the king that everybody would have known about because Nabonidus, for religious reasons, never really spent time in Babylon. Instead, he was in Tima. Uh, so so he, was, he was away and worshiping his gods and on his own spiritual journey, had no real interest in ruling. Belshazzar was the king that people knew. He was the de facto king, even if he wasn't the only king. And even in, in Daniel, we get this reference that, that the one that solves the riddle will be the third ruler in Babylon because there were already two. There was, there was Belshazzar and also uh, Nabonidus as a, they were co-regents. And so he couldn't elevate whoever got this up to the level that he was at, but he could put them as a third ruler in Babylon. So that kind of gives you some backstory as to who Belshazzar is. And if you've ever seen anything that says, well, Belshazzar wasn't really a king of Babylon. Yes, he was. He was a co-regent with the other um, Nabonidus who would have been probably a stepfather. Um, some of that is a little different and it's definitely lost in history. So that, that's what we get out of the history of that. Now, as we look at this, Belshazzar recognizes Nebuchadnezzar as his father. Um, the queen mother, probably Belshazzar's mother, who is mother because Nebuchadnezzar is his father, but also mother because she is married to his stepfather. 
Again, the family tree doesn't quite split the way that typical family trees nowadays do. But anyway, so she's the one that also refers to Nebuchadnezzar as, as your father. And so that's kind of how we, we get all of, all, all of that, that wound up. So those are the things that we can see from the background. Um, and so what's this, what's this party about? Um, because some other political things that are already happening at this point, Babylon as a city... That's all there is now. That, that great empire that Nebuchadnezzar had built had been systematically lost in the last 30 years. The Persians were laying siege to Babylon at this particular time. So why were they partying? There, there's two different ideas. One, maybe uh, Nabonidus had actually suffered a pretty severe defeat in battle uh, and, and Belshazzar was finally claiming to be the king in Babylon. Maybe that's what was going on, and if so, then this party was more or less a coronation. If he had invited a thousand of his lords, you know, noble people in, in the community, and he had had his entire harem and everything show up, maybe he was coronating himself. Maybe that's what was going on. Or mm, some people suggest that it fell in line with one of the traditional Babylonian festivals that they would have traditionally had during that time anyway. So either way, there's a party going on. There's an army outside the gates, but there's a party going on. So why were they having a party right then, and, and why did they feel safe to do that? Well, one of the reasons is Babylon had very strong walls, and so they felt secure in that. The second reason is the, the river Euphrates actually flows right through the city, so they felt like they had plenty of water. And then another reason is historians say that in Babylon was stored enough food to last them for years, so they didn't feel like a siege was, the, was, a, as a, was a big threat to Babylon, but we find out that, that the city fell that very night. So, uh, and here's another cool thing. Um, history is so detailed about this particular event that we know that the night that Daniel interpreted the, the, the writing on the wall to Belshazzar was October the 12th, 539 B.C., I can't tell you the time of day, but that's pretty good for history. We know the actual day that this occurred. So this is a real, verifiable, historical event. The part that history doesn't record is the handwriting on the wall, but the fact that there was a, a, a feast going on, the fact that the Persians took over that night, the fact that the king was actually killed, because that wasn't all that common. In a lot of these situations, the king was kept as a hostage, and then he was paraded around as some kind of trophy for the actual victory that, was, that, that occurred. So, so all of this together really points to the fact that this happened the way that it is described in the Bible, and so now we can begin to kind of see what, what's going on here, what actually happens, and, and what, is, what is God trying to say. Now, this revelry, this party, this feast would have been going on for quite some time. This probably was not day one. Um, it's it, it said that Xerxes I actually threw a party uh, for about 15,000 people that lasted 180 days. So Xerxes was a Persian. The, maybe, he, maybe, maybe Belshazzar couldn't party like a Persian, but he could probably do okay. And so you're talking about probably a longer feast, at least days if not weeks into this. And so there's a lot of drinking. Right at the very beginning it says um, that, that Belshazzar, um, made a great feast for thousands of his lords and drank wine in front of the household. Because of the Persians outside the gates and things like that, people may have been in a somber mood. 
and when Belshazzar stands before them and drinks wine right in front of them, that's almost saying, hey, it's okay to let loose and party because here is your king showing and leading in that example. So that would have started the party. Now, what we know is you get a lot of people, you get a lot of food, you get a lot of liquor, it doesn't look pretty. And this would have turned just as ugly as you can imagine and probably uglier than you can imagine. The things that they did in Babylon in the 530s BC, we don't, well, maybe it does happen in America, but we don't do it very often around here. Um, so, so those kinds of things would have been, just keep in mind, when Daniel walks in and he helps to read the writing on the wall, all of that is, is happening. Drunk folks laying over here. All kinds of terrible things going on. Daniel walks into that. So I just want you to keep that picture in your mind. No, pretty is as, no party is as pretty or as glamorous as, it, as people want it to be. It's, it's all an ugly scene. And that's what Daniel's going to walk into in just a few minutes. Okay, so what we know, again, there were, there were a thousand nobles, noble families here. So a lot of people, a lot of witnesses, a lot of evidence to this that... That, that, that Belshazzar could not have covered this up. This was not, not, not going to be a hidden thing. What God was doing, he was doing in the full light of day. And so after these days of feasting and, and, and drinking, you can only imagine what it was looking like. Um, and so what we can see, I guess to begin with, is that even though with all that Nebuchadnezzar had went through and, and the proclamation that he had made, especially at the end of chapter 4, where he proclaimed the one true God, things along those lines, that memory had faded. That conviction had faded. There was, there was really no, I guess, remembrance of, of who God was, at least in the, in the admitted sense for Belshazzar. And so once the party really gets rolling, he decides to do something else. And he calls for the vessels that were taken from the temple of God. Now, I just want to point out that if he knew about the temple, the, the vessels that were taken from the temple of God, he would have known most of the other things that happened with Nebuchadnezzar, and he would have known about God. At least in some extent, he would have known about God. And that's one of the things that Daniel says later in this, although you knew. And so for Daniel... And, and Daniel's tone is that of, a, of an angry grandfather that has taught this lesson before and he's got to teach it again. Daniel's tone is, is very strong. It's very different than the tone that he has with Nebuchadnezzar. And so when he's talking to Belshazzar, you should have known this. You knew this. And I think that it's evident in the fact that he knew about the, the vessels. He, he knew about these things and, and their significance. And I think that, that kind of speaks to the fact that, yes, he did indeed know what he was doing all along. Because God's response to this... God's response to this is not like he's responding to a foolish or ignorant pagan king that has no idea. God's response to this is someone that, that knew they were pushing a boundary and he just wants to let them know that they went too far. And so that seems to be the response there. So these vessels were distributed to all the participants of the party and everyone drank from them and then began to praise these false gods of gold and silver and iron and bronze and and, and wood and stone, I, you know, just really a lot of, of, of silliness going on here. And it's hard to believe, even, even this long ago, that people believed in gods like that. It's, it's hard to believe that that was it. It was almost as if they were intentionally provoking God. It really does seem that they were intentionally provoking God. And 
when you think about it and you think about like modern culture and kind of look, is there any parallel whatsoever to this? Are there ways in modern culture that people intentionally provoke God? I would say that there are. I would say that people aren't nearly as ignorant as they pretend to be, that I think people know sometimes that they are, are treading on the, the land that God himself has claimed. And, and I, think, I think that definitely some of these nobles and, and, and Belshazzar himself probably knew that. And so that helps us to understand God's response. Now, I believe that if you tried, you could not write a more blasphemous scene to depict the debauchery of Belshazzar. If you tried, if you said, okay, so he's going to have a party. He's going to have all of his nobles in their family. He's going to have all of his wives, all of his concubines. They're going to be drinking. They're going to be eating. And then they're going to take out vessels that have been consecrated to the holy God. And they're going to drink wine in those vessels while worshiping false and empty gods. Y'all may be creative, but I just don't think we could write a story more blasphemous than what really actually happened here to begin with. So I, I do want us to, to feel the gravity of what Belshazzar did. I want us to know what he did because this man dies this night. And, and he dies um, without repentance. He dies without mercy. He dies without some you know, lesson being taught to him. He dies. And I think, I think we need to recognize that this was not you know, God being an angry God. This was God being a holy God. And we have to recognize that this kind of sin does not go ignored. So the display of emptiness of Belshazzar. His father Nebuchadnezzar built an empire, but this boy king could only throw parties. Let's just remember this for a minute. Nebuchadnezzar built this great empire, but throughout the reign of Belshazzar and to at least some extent this Nabonidus guy, the empire continued to shrink until it was nothing but the city of Babylon itself. So Nebuchadnezzar was this man that, that God lifted up and was a great man, even if God made him great. Belshazzar was not lifted up by God. He was not great by man's standards, nor by God's standards. He was just a, a, a star in his own mind, and, and God humbled him. So the Lord is truly merciful, but there's a limit to that mercy, and there must be a final justice to counter unrepentant sins. We know that God is forgiving. We know that God is loving. We know that God is, is patient. But there is a limit to his mercy Belshazzar, unfortunately, found it that night. And what we have to realize is that those that sin in bold ways, not sin because they're carried away by temptation, but more sin because they are challenging God, which that's the way I understand what Belshazzar was doing, that's when you get into this dangerous realm of the limit to God's mercy and, and the time for actual judgment. We have to understand that there are two ways that God responds to humanity. Mercy through Jesus Christ or justice through his righteousness and his holiness. And Belshazzar is going to see the latter in that case. So let's look at this hand from heaven. All the joy leaves the feast very suddenly as a hand appears from heaven and writes on the plaster wall a message that no one can read or interpret. To say that no one could read it might be a stretch because I believe that they would have known what the words were, but you would assume that if a... Um, because one of the words is a, is a measurement, one of them is a, another measurement that's one sixtieth of the first, and then the other is the word divide. They probably could read, maybe, I don't know, they've been drinking a long time, but they probably could read, 
But you would, you would think that if a hand is going to appear from heaven and write on a wall, that there would be some meaning besides just the words. And so maybe that's where the, the disconnect came from. But here's, here's the, I, I guess, the, the interesting thing to see. Belshazzar's response to this event highlights just how different he was from his father. When Nebuchadnezzar received his dreams, he was troubled. He couldn't sleep anymore. Um, in, in some cases, he was frightened. And he did send out for his diviners and his astrologers and whatnot. But if you really get into the language, Belshazzar had a different response. Okay, so the, the, the color change. Uh, true extreme fear, that's when people go pale, right? And, and so in a Middle Eastern setting where the guy's typically going to have a, a, you know, a, a little bit darker skin tone, you can see when he pales. That's one thing. And then the, the ESV is the Bible that I use, and it's very polite about what it says. So it says that, that his, his legs gave way, or his, his knees gave way, and then his legs were knocking like he was terrified and, 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 and afraid. Well, in the original language, yes, his knees did knock. In other words, he was shivering, but it wasn't his, it wasn't his legs that gave way. It was the, the, the measures of control that we typically have over our bodily functions that gave way. In other words, the king lost all that he had in that moment, and people recognized this. They recognized his fear. They recognized that for what it really, really was. Now, he was not a man of courage. He was not a man of, of, of you know, substance, not a man to be respected. He was a man that, that was controlled by his fear when it came. And, and what we have to see here. And I think this is important because we don't see it often enough. Here is a man that was in the, in the moment, even before he understood. Here was a man that was confronted by the degree of his sins and the consequences of his sins. And he could not control himself. He, he could not endure that. He could not stand up to that. He could not imagine himself paying the price. He would pay the price but he couldn't imagine himself doing it. I think that, that a lot of people nowadays have a very casual understanding of sin, whether it be what is done or what might be done in recompense. And here Belshazzar saw in that hand the judgment that was coming. Even before he understood the interpretation, I think he understood things were serious. It seems that he was very terrified. And he understood the weight of his sins in that moment. And so what I would say from that, is, as we take something away from that, know that God does not leave sin unchecked. It may go, and it may go for a lot longer. You know, this is 30 years after Nebuchadnezzar. Was this the first party that Belshazzar had thrown? Probably not. But it was the last. We don't know when that last party will be. We don't know when that last straw will be before God presents his justice but what we do know is that God will respond he will respond to sin so Belshazzar loses all control um, when it was determined that no one could read the, the writing or understand the writing all the color left his face again and he began to panic you know he calls to his wise people now why wasn't Daniel at the party well I think for obvious reasons we know why Daniel wouldn't be at the party but Daniel was no longer in the king's court and, and this was kind of typical because when an when a old king w would die, he had old advisors. He had, you know, old ministers. He had old 
magicians. He had an old, you know, confidants. When a new king comes in, typically they get rid of those. That, that cost Israel one time. We, we saw that. Um, but typically they get rid of the old ones and they get new guys. They get guys their age that advise them and tell them things. And so the, the, the new wise people, the, the new enchanters, the new Chaldeans, the new, all of those things, Daniel was not in that list. Daniel had been rejected already by Belshazzar because he was not a part of that group. If, if Someone with Daniel's resume can't be in your court. You're, there's something wrong with your court. And, and that's the thing that we have to recognize about Belshazzar is he was not even a very good evaluator of who should have been in his court to help him understand things. Now, you definitely have to understand ancient Mid Mid um, Middle Eastern culture to understand just how significant it is for the queen mother to speak up. W women didn't have a voice. And especially in a, in a case like this where... Real, real things are being discussed. I mean, if, if you have the king and his war party discussing war strategy and the queen mother walks in and says, well, I think you should do it this way, she would have probably been beheaded. But in this particular case, you have the queen mother walking into a situation even more serious than that and says, you should remember about Daniel. You should remember about Daniel because he served your father. And the things that she says, now she will not reference the one true God either. She still says that he had the spirit or the mind of the holy gods, um, but she doesn't actually reference God himself. But what she does say about Daniel is that he just has whatever it takes to figure out everything. And, and her, her words are scolding. When you really look at what she was saying, she was scolding him. You should know this. You should remember this. Your father, your father the king, Almost like he's not really a king. Your father, the king, knew Daniel and knew that, that Daniel had the answers and would call on Daniel in situations like this. And, and of course, Nebuchadnezzar was not a perfect man, not by any stretch. And I don't, I don't think that anybody is saying that, not even the queen mother in this case. But what we do know is that Nebuchadnezzar would listen to the Lord. And it appears that Belshazzar would not. So he agrees to call on Daniel. And, and he brings Daniel in again. Daniel walks into this situation. This is not a pretty situation. This is, this is a situation where Daniel would have looked around. And, and I think that, that all that was going on, Daniel, if he ever had respect for Belshazzar, he did lose that respect. And we see that in the way that he speaks to Belshazzar versus the way that he speaks to Nebuchadnezzar. With Nebuchadnezzar, it's, Oh, my Lord King, or O King, live forever. With Belshazzar, it's, O thou king, or O you king. It's, it's not my king, and it's certainly not you know, anything that would... Remember when, when Daniel interpreted the second dream, he was, he was upset and he said, O king, let this be for your enemies. Let this be for, for those that are against you because it, it, it shouldn't be for you. Daniel had some love and some respect for Nebuchadnezzar. He had none of that for Belshazzar. He, he, he does not revel, he does not take any joy or pleasure in interpreting this. But he doesn't hesitate either, and he, he doesn't hold back. He tells Belshazzar exactly what is here. And so even in this, this terrified state where the king has lost his color and everything else, he wants to kind of make sure that, that Daniel knows where he is. So he doesn't say, are you Daniel, the one that my father elevated, the one that was the chief of magicians and, and wise men, things like that? He says, are you Daniel, one of the Jews that my father got from Judah? And so he, he starts with that. So bringing, making sure that Daniel understands that Daniel's in exile. He's not up there with the, the Babylonians. He's certainly not up there with the elite of the Babylonians. Kind of making sure that he's still in this place of control. 
but he does make the same offer to Daniel that he makes to the others. If you can read these words and tell me what they mean, then, then you know, purple clothes, gold chain, third ruler in the kingdom. So he makes that same offer and that same promise to Daniel. He also says that I heard that you could do these things. I heard that you could understand and interpret these things. That is different than I know that you can, because he should know that he could, because Nebuchadnezzar had been pretty good evidence of that. And so there's a difference between hearing and belief, and I think that Belshazzar is in that hearing place, not in that belief place, but Daniel is about to straighten him out. So, first of all, when Daniel instructs this boy king, he talks to him about Nebuchadnezzar and how he was a great man because God let him be a great man. Your father was great because God elevated him. Your father built an empire because God gave him that empire. You know, and to Nebuchadnezzar early in his career, that would have been incredibly offensive to him, right? But God proved that it was God that gave Nebuchadnezzar that authority and that power because when Nebuchadnezzar's heart got too lifted up and he was too focused on himself and not on God, God took everything away from him. And not just in the sense of he lost his kingdom, he lost his mind. That's what we studied last week was the fact that he was, he was going around as an animal he completely lost his mind. And then just to display that it certainly is God that's in control, God elevated him back up, brought him back to that place again. So Nebuchadnezzar had rode, rode the elevator of humility, so to speak. So he had been high, God brought him low, and then God brought him back just to show him that it is God who gives power and authority in this world and not mankind. And so Nebuchadnezzar knew this. And Daniel reminds Belshazzar of this. Your father has been there. He was brought low. He was brought back. But you, on the other hand, you are not that. Nebuchadnezzar had this power of life and death. Belshazzar doesn't seem to have that. Even though Belshazzar is the son of Nebuchadnezzar and would surely have known about this event from the life of his father, the foolish king had chosen to provoke the Lord instead of revering him. We believe, I believe that he was provoking God, not, not doing this. And Daniel even says, as you should know. And so I think for, for Daniel, it was even worse. What he walked into, the mess that he walked into was one thing. But the fact that he should know better was even more so. Was even greatly more so. And so that was, that was the kind of mess that, that Daniel was walking into and, and speaking to. So... He begins to point out the sins of Belshazzar before he actually reads this, or, or before he actually reads and, 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 and interprets this. He does challenge the king on his sinful nature and, and especially on his heart. So it's not, Daniel doesn't point and say, look at all this terrible stuff you've done right here. He looks at this whole picture. Yes, you've, done, you've, you've taken the vessels and you've, you've, you've tried to defile the very vessels of the Lord, but, but your whole life has been a defilement. And then he points to the fact that he has, he, has, he has honored these gods that can't see, that can't hear, that have no power whatsoever. Daniel is, is really breaking down this whole situation and saying none of, this is, none of this is to your good. None of this is to your good. In verse 22 he says, though you knew all this. And so that's, that's a powerful statement that you knew it. And I think that's one of the big things that Daniel is, is, is making is that you knew all these things. Although Belshazzar is lifted high among men, before God he is truly nothing. 
That's something that's very, very important for us to recognize is mankind will lift people up. Mankind will put people on pedestals, but if they are nothing before God, they are nothing because God is the true evaluator of what we are. We must always remember that it is not man who gives value or power to other humans. All of that authority rests in the hands of the Lord. And that's what Daniel was telling Belshazzar about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was great because God wanted him to be great. Nebuchadnezzar was made low because God wanted him to be made low. And then Nebuchadnezzar was restored because that was also part of God's plan. In the end, the only judgment of us that matters is the judgment that God passes upon us. And we must pray that that judgment is favorable. We know how to make that judgment favorable. That's the good news for us. We follow Jesus Christ. We know that it is favorable. So let's look at the part. Weighed, measured, and found wanting. So after the scolding slash sermon, whatever you want to call what Daniel did, it was definitely tough. Um, I just have to say that I love the fact that he said you can keep your, your purple clothes, and you can keep your chain or give it to somebody else. I don't care. I really love that he said that. Uh, that to me was just tough, and I like toughness in leadership. And so he showed some of that. It was just really encouraging. Now, it's possible and even likely that most people could read the words they could read those words that were up there because they were words that, that were in Arabic. But best we can tell, they were words that were in Arabic. They were words that, that you might could understand. So, mini, um, it actually means uh, mina, which is a, uh, a form of, of weight, okay? And then a shekel is one-sixtieth of that. And so, you, you, you go from something that is, that is heavy to something that is, that is not so heavy. So, it is, is divided. And so, he says, mini, mini. And then, and then you have shekel here, or, or tekel, uh, and, and then you have paris, which is divided. And so, small, small, smaller, divided. If you want to just give you the actual clear words of what was said, so that's, that, those are the clear words, and they are weights in descending order. So, according to Daniel's interpretation, the Lord had numbered the days of Belshazzar, Belshazzar's reign, and they would end that very night. So that's the first part of this. God, God had counted them, and it turns out that it ends tonight. So that, that's the first part. That is the, that is the measured, or that, that is the, the length, and God has determined that it is over. Second, he had not been found adequate to carry on the Babylonian kingdom, and so in keeping with that first dream that God gave Nebuchadnezzar, gold would now give way to silver. So what was larger is now being divided. That's sort of the picture there. And then, finally, the Babylonian, Babylonian Empire would be divided among the Medes and the Persians. This, this, is going to, this is going to have a significant impact as we go forward into the story of Daniel. But what we see, at, at least early on here, what we see is that the, the, how the Babylonians were the judgment of God on Judah, now the Medes and the Persians are the judgment on the Babylonians. We will never know if Belshazzar actually believed what Daniel said. If he believed the interpretation, believed the reading. But what we do know is that Belshazzar was honest. He gave Daniel purple clothes, gave him a gold chain, made him third ruler in a kingdom that didn't have 12 hours left in its, in its history. So, hoorah for that. Um, but Daniel for his worth and for his character, we know that he lived on. He spoke this truth, and you would have to 
you have to recognize God's sovereignty in this situation. Because in most instances, especially with pagan kings, if you go before a pagan king and give them bad news, then you come out about yay shorter. I mean, that was kind of the way that things went. And so for Daniel to walk out of that room with purple clothes, a chain, and, and, and you know, a, a title that's going to be meaningless in a few hours, that was pretty good. But that is definitely God's protection there. So I think what we have to remember, the, these are the points that I think we have to remember about this. Just like Belshazzar, there will be many in this world who think they are great, but will learn that they have been weighed, measured, and found wanting. I hope that's not one of us, but there will be people that walk around thinking they are something special when they really have been found wanting in the eyes of the Lord. So let us find our value in the Lord so that we will not be among those who do not measure up to his standard. This, this is where it's key, because if, if we look at the world and say, okay, the world values these things, how do I line up? We'll never be able to keep up because it's always changing. But if we find our value in the Lord, that has always been the same. Those that call on the name of the Lord, those that trust in Jesus Christ, those are the ones that he finds value in. So the conclusion is a little bit longer than I normally do. Um, but I wanted to make three basic statements and some kind of backup to it. So who would be Belshazzar's modern contemporaries? First of all, we should never be awed by those who have earthly wealth or power. There's going to be a lot of people that have that. They have that earthly wealth. They have that power. They have those things. Never be awed by that. Um, so I, I probably have related in, in different ways, um, but it's, it's easy to, to be that way. There was a, I actually have shook the hand of Nick Saban. Some of y'all may not know who he is, but he, um, he coaches a ball team and um, pretty well, in fact. But I shook his hand. And I'll tell you, when I shook his hand, I was in awe. I was. But we shouldn't be. What is he? He is a man. He is a man like all other men. He's good at something, but most of us are good at something or good for nothing. We are something, but it is God that gives us value. It is God that gives us strength. It is God that, that, that tells us what we are worth. And, and so let me do two things. One... According to the way that the world values things, we're not very valuable. But according to the way that God values us, we are precious beyond all measure. And you need to know that because in a passage like this, it seems like God throws away people that don't do what he says. That's not what this passage is about. We are valuable beyond all measure to God. He sent his son Jesus to die for us. So remember your value and remember what, where your value comes from. It comes from God, not from man. So when we think about celebrities, athletes, and politicians, they're exalted by the world, but only God will know if they are worthy. Are there worthy celebrities, athletes, and politicians? Well, of course not. I mean, there probably are somewhere, but what we need to recognize is that their value doesn't come from the esteem that mankind holds them to. Their value comes from God. And God will evaluate them. But who else could be Belshazzar's contemporaries? Well, it could just as easily be a neighbor or a competitor or somebody that you look to and you say, well, well they're what success is and I, and I want to get there. We don't need to do that. We never need to do that. We never need to worry about that. Worry about your business and your relationship with the Lord and let that be enough. Empty people should never be filled with our praise. And just for free, I will say that there should not be People who are celebrities because they are Christians. That's not worth anything. 
every person that's really ever served the Lord has been rejected by the world. And so if you find a Christian that is accepted by the world, watch out. Just watch out. Because the world rejects godly people. The world rejects God's message. The world rejected God's Son. At some point, the world will bow to Jesus. But at that point, most of the world will be under His absolute dominion. Mostly, the world rejects Christians. The judgment of Belshazzar's gods. Let's look at this part. It's not just Belshazzar who was empty, but also his gods who are worthless. What are the gods that would be similar today? So today the world believes in false gods such as acceptance, diversity, and choice. You've heard a lot of those words over the last couple of years in the news. Those have become the gods of our modern society. And those things, they are not what people think they are. They can worship those things, they can serve those things, they can strive for those things. But let me tell you, those things are not sovereign, they are not God. God can bring about balance, God can bring about morality, God can bring about the right answers, but not when people are worshiping false gods. He will allow them to go to their, their just end. These gods are just as fake and empty as the gods of Belshazzar. Now finally, let's look at God's sovereign mercy because... In this passage, if you just read it and, and, and you kind of isolate it, you think, wow, there's not a lot of mercy involved in this because Belshazzar, he just made one mistake or one dozen mistakes in one night and all of a sudden he's dead. As believers, we must remember that God is in control and he is working out his plan. In all of these situations, God is working out his plan. So did God know that on October the 12th of 539 B.C. that, that, that Babylon would fall and Belshazzar would be throwing a rager and, and that was just the time that it was all going to happen? Absolutely God knew. Did God make Belshazzar throw that party? No. But God knew it was going to occur. And God knew that that was going to be the moment that he caused Babylon to fall. And so... We know that God is working out a plan, and His plan is better. There are things that are happening today that we would consider a curse, but later we will see them as His mercy. How many of you have looked at something in your life in that moment and said, this is a curse, and then later looked at it as a blessing? Please nobody look at your spouse right now. What we have to recognize is that God does things and he works in miraculous ways. And so what we look at at one moment and say, wow, this is, this is not good. Later we say, wow, this is the blessing that God always intended for me because we don't have the sight that God has. We don't have the, the foresight. We don't see those things that God can see. And so do not focus on this world and the negative nature of this world and say, oh, it's horrible because God has a plan. And some of the things you're complaining about may be his blessings and his mercies. Trust in his plan and never let your faith waver no matter what you see happening in this world. Are we disturbed if we watch what's happening in the world? Are we truly troubled? I think that more news should be talking about what's going on in China. You realize they have about a million people in concentration camps right now because they're Muslim? Not because they committed a crime, not because they did it, because they're Muslim. Now, do we agree theologically with Muslims? No, but they're humans, and they are not currently being treated like humans. But our news is way more interested in things that matter much less than a human life. And, and so I think, that, I think that when we look at the world, we can see horrible things and say, wow, this terrible thing is going on. Trust in God's plan, because right now what we see is sad. What we see now 
can be disturbing, but God is working toward an end, and, and that end has to work itself out as God plans it. Daniel was rejected by God. Or, no, Daniel was rejected, but... That changes everything. Daniel was rejected, but God chose him as a messenger. Okay? Jesus was rejected, and God chose him as the Savior. We will be rejected by this world, but God will choose us as his children. So we have to realize that, that we are not trying to make friends with this world. We are not trying to fit into this world. We are not trying to share ideologies with this world. We are not trying to partner with this world. If the world is saying one thing, you can just about guarantee that God is saying something opposite of that. And so we have to be looking for God's message in everything we will be rejected. We will be diminished by this world. We will be humbled. Are you that exile that my father brought from Judah? Well, sure, we'll answer to that. Because at the end of the day, it's not about our identity in mankind. It's about our identity in God. And so Daniel was a faithful servant. When he was exalted, he was a faithful servant. When he was humbled, he served the Lord. And we have to be willing to do the same. Seek God's mercy in every situation and serve Him. Find your delight in Him because in this world, those things that are delightful today are poison tomorrow. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for this day and the opportunity to gather together. And I thank You for Your Word, which really challenges us. I'm sure if we were all honest, we could find times that we have been shallow, that we have not had you on our hearts. We have been in awe of things that we don't need to be in awe of, or we have been engaged in things that we don't need to be engaged in. But thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace that has pointed us to you and pointed us to your word. Now, I pray that we would be obedient just to follow what you have to say. We can look at the world and see it for what it is, but Lord, let us never long to be like the world. The world is condemned. The world rests under your judgment. The world has been weighed, it has been measured, and it has certainly been found wanting. And I pray that we as your children will live by an entirely different standard, an entirely different measurement, because we don't belong to this world. We belong to you. And thank you for that distinction. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.